thought about this quite a bit, sir, and I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold, bought, or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Zoe Chase. And I'm Robert Smith. Today is Friday, July 15th, and that was the character Lloyd Dobler from the movie Say Anything. He was talking about his career plans, but we thought he pretty much summed up the state of the North Korean economy. Today on the podcast, we'll talk about what North Korea buys, sells, and processes to make money. Not much. Most of the world won't (laughs) trade with them. But that doesn't mean that Kim Jong-il doesn't have some strange and illegal ways to get cash. Today, we will go through the list. First, the Planet Money Indicator with Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money Indicator, $13 trillion. Over the next 10 years, the federal government is going to run deficits of $13 trillion in total. Uh, That's according to a projection from the Congressional Budget Office, which is, of course, the nonpartisan scorekeeper for the federal budget. Jacob, you had this number on the blog this week, and I was kind of surprised by it because... When you've been listening to the news this week about the debt ceiling debate and and fighting over plans to cut the deficit, you know, the numbers are more like cut it by two and a half trillion or a big effort to get to four trillion. But that's nowhere near 13 trillion. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, to be clear, even two trillion is a huge amount of money. The federal government will have to make big changes to cut the deficit by that much. But I think the key thing about this $13 trillion figure is it really points to the fact that this debate that's going on right now about the deficit and the debt ceiling, it's not like the be-all, end-all that's just going to set the course for the federal government for the next decade. This is just one in what will very likely be a long and painful series of debates about the federal deficit. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, guys. On to North Korea. I don't think I'm breaking any news here when I say that North Korea has a lot of problems. It's a repressive regime. It's incredibly secretive. The North Koreans can't feed their own people. The country goes dark every night because there's not enough electricity. The currency is worthless outside its borders. All these problems are made worse by the fact that North Korea doesn't trade with most of the world. They can't bring in enough money or products to make life better for the people there. So today on the podcast, we're going to look at the few ways that North Korea does get some money into the country. Ways that for any other country in the world would seem totally crazy. But of course, North Korea isn't like any other country. So other countries have basically two choices when it comes to survival. You can either make everything yourself harvest your own food, manufacture your own products. Very few countries can even come close to this. Or most countries, they trade with the rest of the world. But here's the key. In order to buy something from abroad, you have to have something that the rest of the world wants. Other than a couple of specialty seafood items, some delicious mushrooms, North Korea doesn't have anything unique that the world demands. So they've chosen this very sad third option. North Korea feeds its people through charity. We went to the United Nations to talk to Anthony Banbury. He used to run the World Food Program for Asia. Now he's an assistant secretary general. And he says that the World Food Program would ship in rice and other food products to keep the North Korean people from starving. And we should also say here that he is the brother-in-law of Planet Money's own Adam Davidson. 
Banbury was in North Korea recently, and he had access to parts of the country that outsiders normally don't see. And he was struck by the effects of years of isolation in the country. You drive through it, there's rusting factories everywhere. The factories have broken windows. There'll be one smokestack puffing out of a row of 20. Even the military is unable to get oil and supplies. The military, which gets the the first dibs on resources, more resources than any other segments of the, the society, had converted a large portion of its trucks from gasoline or diesel burning to solid fuel burning, basically creating uh, almost like steam engine technology so they could make these trucks uh, go using solid wood. They would put this big like stove in the back of the truck. I was driving behind one of these trucks in a rural area. They would put wood, coal, coal dust, corn cobs uh, to feed it. Uh, to, to create the combustion. And this is so sad and also so brilliant at the same time. You know, if all you have is wood and corn cobs, then why not use them to power your entire military? And there's a North Korean name for this exact type of thing. It's juche. Juche means self-reliance. And you hear this from anyone you talk to who's been to North Korea or anyone who has defected from North Korea, this concept of juche. It's, it's more than just a word. It's a national philosophy. In fact, in downtown Pyongyang, they have this giant tower with a flame on it. That's the Juche Tower. And that symbolizes how everyone has to have the flame of self-reliance inside themselves. And depending on how you look at it, it can mean that creativity, but it can also mean desperation and so desperate that you need to invent things in order to stay alive. But Juche doesn't seem to apply to the North Korean elite. The party officials and government leaders have grown used to a supply of luxury items. Anthony Banbury says even as people were starving out in the provinces, he would be invited by government leaders to lavish banquets. I was able to eat extremely well. I mean, seafood or, or fine beef or whatever. I mean, we, we had multi-course meals and wine, uh, imported wine was, was served, uh, you know, crystal glasses, fine china. But here's the catch about international trade. Did you hear that? You can't get fancy French wine or crystal glasses or fine china with North Korean currency. The North Korean currency is known as the won. And... The thing about the won is nobody outside of North Korea will take it because basically its value is determined by the North Korean government, which no one trusts. So in order to do international trade, you need some sort of currency, some sort of money that other countries trust and will accept currency like dollars or euros or the Chinese RMB. And Kim Jong-il has become an expert on wily ways to get his hands on that kind of money. Try to imagine Kim Jong-il looking around his country and thinking, I need real money. What do I have here that I can sell, that I can exploit to get money into my country? Yeah, it's like a a giant garage sale. It's North Korea. You look around. What do you have? There are three obvious assets. I mean, first of all, you're North Korea. You're a fairly large country. You have natural resources, lots of cheap materials and cheap labor, too. So number two, you have a huge military. You have extra guns. You have extra missiles. And number three, and I think this is maybe stretching a bit when we talk about it as an asset, but we'll get to this. You have lots of giant statues of Kim Jong-il, a lot of statues. (laughs) So it turns out that all of these things, which are all the trappings of a repressive hermit dictatorship, they can actually be quite lucrative if you try really hard and you don't care what the rest of the world thinks of you. So let's go through them. First, natural resources. 
Now, this is interesting. North Korea basically rents out part of its mountain ranges to China. China is, of course, growing at an enormous rate. They need raw materials. And so they, they basically run their own mines in North Korea. They take out coal and magnesium and they drag it back over the border. So that's one way they get money, the North Koreans do. The North Koreans also rent out their waters, their territorial waters to the Chinese. They say basically take all the fish you want and just give us some money in return. And like we mentioned, the other natural resource the North Korean government has is cheap labor. They're not just renting out their land. They actually rent out their own people. They have the ability to just send their people to work for foreign companies. So the government sends North Koreans to cut down trees in Russia. They send their people to South Korean factories on the border to make things like shoes, kitchen pots and pans and printer toner in South Korean factories. Now, I have to say this amazed me when I first heard it, because perhaps we've all heard of the DMZ, the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. They're technically still at war. And so you think of almost no contact between North and South Korea. But in fact, there is a special economic zone in North Korea on the border that South Korean companies basically use to open up factories and have cheap labor. So there's about 120 South Korean companies. They employ about 50,000 North Koreans in North Korea. North Koreans who work long hours making cheap goods for the South Koreans. And this is a really good deal for the North Korean government because here's how it works on payday. The South Koreans don't give money to their workers. They give dollars, U.S. dollars, to the North Korean government. And then the North Korean government pays the workers in won, in the near worthless North Korean currency. And this is the best part. What is the exchange rate that the government uses to convert dollars to won to pay its people? It is whatever the North Korean government wants it to be. The North Koreans essentially get the dollars for free. This adds up. You look at 2009 figures, official North Korean exports are roughly a billion dollars a year to China and close to a billion dollars a year to South Korea. North Korea is a country of 23 million people, so that's really not that much money. Yes, but those are only the legal official trade numbers. I think everyone knows that North Korea is not always the best at following the rules. In fact, there are a lot of illegal businesses, and we're going to talk about those now. So, for instance, one way that North Korea uses that vast amount of land and all those empty factories, North Korea sells drugs. They grow and they process illegal drugs. We met up with a North Korean defector who was actually in the government-run drug business. Ma Yang-ye invites us into her apartment, which is in northern Virginia. She was in the North Korean military for a long time. She was also in law enforcement for the government there. And here's the thing. I expected her to be a little bit more intimidating. But she toddles along these huge platform sandals. And when she kicks them off, Mrs. Ma is about as tall as a 12-year-old girl. When you walk into her apartment, the walls are covered in pictures, and you can see pictures of her in this North Korean military uniform. Carrying a giant accordion. She played in the military band. We went to meet her with our translator, Sung Hee Na. And before we started, Sung Hee Na took it upon herself to explain exactly what public radio is to Mrs. Ma. Fundraising and fall. Fundraising 해가지고 듣는 청취자들한테 we need your support. 100불 보내주세요. 50불 보내주세요. 그래갖고 I think she pretty much summed up uh, public radio there. That's all you need to know. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Mrs. Ma had a very interesting job for the North Korean government. 
she would track down North Korean drug smugglers, which is, you know, pretty normal for a police officer, right? But here's the difference. She was supposed to stop small-time Korean drug dealers in order to protect the biggest drug dealer in the country, which was the country itself, the North Korean government. The small individuals that we were trying to catch were doing this in a very small scale. But the government was doing it in large scale. In a very institutional level, and they were selling the outputs in global markets. She says this seemed totally normal to her at the time. It was sort of part of the Juche philosophy of the country doing whatever it takes to survive. Still, the North Koreans hid their poppy fields from most of the population. Mrs. Ma only saw them because she was an insider. There was a huge area. You know, tens of thousands of uh, acres I bet, uh, that used to be the potato fields uh, were converted into the fields for growing opium plants. And I visited there in the springtime, and I saw all this variety of flowers, uh, you know, uh, growing there. They just look beautiful. And this is where all those empty factories became mighty useful to Kim Jong-il. At night, Mrs. Ma says the government would start up the production lines in these abandoned factories, and they would process the opium. They would pack the product in these plastic cubes. They were about the, the size of a big dictionary. Then the drugs would be smuggled out of the country through China. This was the mid-'80s. Opium was the big drug. And these days, reportedly, the drug of choice for export out of North Korea is ice, methamphetamine. Mrs. Ma never actually smuggled the drugs herself. But in this crazy way, she did end up smuggling other products. Now, remember, she was a law enforcement official for North Korea, and she would have to cross the border to China to track down the non-government approved drug dealers. And the North Korean government, when they would send her on these trips, they wouldn't give her money, like a per diem, like you and I might get. They gave her illegal goods in order to help her on her way. To sort of barter her way through her travels. You know, when I was traveling um, China, at, uh, at first I was given um, materials. Items like a dried squid or dried sea cucumber, some of these rare products that are very highly valued by the Chinese. So then we would be given these packages of goods, and then we are told that you should take this and sell it and get money and cover your travel expenses. But then, uh, over time, I was given a pack of uh, cash um, and dollars. And I was trained, I was told, I was explained that these are fake dollars and that I am to convert them and at 40% discount. The pack of cash Mrs. Ma was given is a pack of counterfeit $100 bills. In North Korea, these are so common, they are called super notes. And here's the weird thing about that packet of cash. Mrs. Ma wasn't supposed to spend it on things, even though these were very good counterfeit bills. The problem is nobody is going to take a brand new $100 bill from a North Korean just over the border. Everyone knows that they counterfeit money. 
So what Mrs. Ma would do is she would bring this money to an intermediary, a money launderer. And the Chinese, who knew the money was fake, would pay Mrs. Ma about 60 real dollars for every fake $100 bill. Mrs. Ma says even though she was supposed to only know about the drug trade, all the intelligence officers in North Korea would share stories about the other illegal businesses the government was dabbling in. It was kind of like office gossip. Fake American cigarettes was another big one. So once again, there are North Korean law enforcement officials all sitting around in their lunchroom talking about all the illegal things that their government is doing, and that does not phase them. They do not lose trust in their government from this. What led Mrs. Ma to defect was that she saw how much better life was in China when she traveled there. I started feeling that how come these two countries that are so close to each other geographically and only with one river, a river in between us, and one country appears to be relatively open and better off. And in North Korea, our country, people are really suffering very badly. She ended up defecting on one of her trips to China. And eventually she made it to Virginia, where she now runs a North Korean restaurant. Which she told us has a whole different set of delicacies that a South Korean restaurant can't offer. And actually the whole restaurant is apparently staffed by other defectors who work there. Okay, so all of this was various ways in which North Korea uses their natural resources. And unnatural counterfeit products. Absolutely, to make money. But Kim Jong-il has another trick up his sleeve. Asset number two, the North Korean military. North Korea may not make the best products, but they are really good at weapons. <laughs> That's what a million-man army will do for you. Exactly. And, and North Korea is reviled around the world. It's already under sanctions, and they have no reason not to sell as many weapons as they can get away with. One of the people who guided us through the netherworld of North Korean exports was Curtis Melvin. He's an economics graduate student who writes a great blog. I highly recommend it, North Korean Economy Watch. And he says that Korean-made weapons kept showing up whenever there was some sort of bloody, horrible conflict around the world. Just a couple of weeks ago in Libya, the rebels captured a uh, military uh, warehouse and, uh, and dragged out a bunch of rocket launchers that were made in North Korea. And the boxes were all labeled bulldozer parts. So... And is this stuff that was recently manufactured, or is this all, you know, 10, 20, 30 years old? Uh, some of it is old, but the North Koreans still manufacture uh, out-of-date military equipment, which they export. Not all of it is out-of-date. There is nuclear technology, which allegedly they export, and missiles. There's this great story about U.S. officials watching one of those North Korean parades, you know, where they, where they move the rockets through the street, and looking closely at one of the rockets and saying, hey, that looks exactly like the rocket that they use in Iran that we've spotted there. So this is the kind of links they make. There's nothing official about how big the arms trade is from North Korea. Now, the estimates range from anything from $100 million worth of military weapons to more than a billion dollars a year. Whatever it is, it doesn't add up to a lot of exports for a country of 23 million people. But it's definitely enough cash for nice French wine and big fancy banquets or iPods or DVDs. I mean, one of the more entertaining things, I have to admit, about reading about North Korean trade is all these reports detailing exactly what it is that Kim Jong-il wants to import with his newly found money. They found him trying to sneak in Mercedes vehicles, cinema equipment. You may remember that he fancies himself a great director, yachts, pianos, 
and my favorite, dancing shoes. And those are probably for those big, spectacular dance numbers in the stadium for the glory of the great leader. And speaking of the glorification of the great leader, this brings us to our final way, our last easy way that North Korea can make some cash. It's exploiting their art. If you think about it, the most common sight in North Korea, people will all tell you, is the pictures and the statues of Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung. And North Korea has trained thousands of artists to exalt their great leaders. And they figure with those thousands, why not make a few bucks? Curtis Melvin, who does the North Korea economy blog, he's been to Pyongyang as a tourist. And he says that when dictators around the world want a giant statue or some huge monument to glorify themselves... They call up the North Koreans. Who else? Who else knows how to make a 100-foot-tall strongman look tall and skinny and handsome? The North Koreans have a long history of doing this, and you can go as far back as the 1970s to find monuments that the North Koreans have built in Africa. I know they built uh, the monument to the Derg in Ethiopia, and uh, that's sort of continued to this day. i got to be honest with you. I've seen pictures of statues in North Korea. I know you've been there. They seem kind of ugly to me. There's that that ugly, harsh Soviet realism kind of look to it. Well, you know, uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. The North Korean canon for how they are supposed to describe and portray the leaders is very prescribed and spelled out. So uh, there's no improvisation when it comes to how an artist can portray the leaders. But when you saw them, did you think, this is kind of beautiful? Uh, no. But, you know, art may be the only thing that an American can actually easily get from North Korea. And, you know, we thought about trying to get a product from North Korea to illustrate this podcast. Not possible. The U.S. has rules that say that no North Korean product can be imported, not even a tiny part in a product manufactured someplace else. But art does seem to be this gray area. There's a dealer in Italy I talked to, Pierre Sissoni, who's buying North Korean art from the official Mansude Art Studio and selling it online to Europeans and Americans. That's how a work of art originally meant to glorify the great leader and the North Korean state might end up hanging over the couch of a capitalist in New York. And your money might end up in the pockets of North Korea. Before we close, we just wanted to thank Barbara Demick. She's the author of this fantastic book that came out last year about North Korea. It's called Nothing to Envy, Ordinary Lives in North Korea. It is one of my favorite books. We want to hear what you think about North Korea and about Planet Money. So you can email us at planetmoney at npr.org or check out our blog at npr.org slash money. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Zoe Chase. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.